This is the voice of Carnage, and you are listening to Carnage Cast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Carnage Cast. I'm Tyler, and with me tonight is Rod, man about the Carnage staff. Hey, everyone. How are you doing tonight? Welcome to the show, Rod. Thanks. Uh, it's been a while since I've been on. I've been looking forward to get back on. So, Yeah, Carnage is uh, gearing up, isn't it? It certainly is. Uh, we've really, we, we've, uh, of course, you know, everyone knows we're moving to Killington, but we've really started to uh, put the gears in motion, so to speak. We're going to start looking for GMs pretty soon, and um, hopefully everything will go well, and uh, we'll have a great first year at Killington. Yes, uh, GM signups usually the start of May. If if you're a tried and true GM, uh, the one of the field marshals will be reaching out to you, I bet. But if you're interested in being one for the first time, there will be a, a sign up form on the website you can take advantage of. Absolutely, and we're looking for all ki- all kinds of games, uh, board games, RPGs, miniature games, um, whatever you want to sign up for. You want to play something? Let us know. One important thing to note about Killington. Uh, right at, at this point in the reservation process, people need to call the hotel directly to make their reservation for the Carnage weekend and say you're part of the Carnage convention reservation block. It's really important because uh, Killington's online system isn't booking that far in advance. So call the resort directly. You can get the phone number on the CarnageCon website, CarnageCon.com, or of course you can look up the Killington Grands website and they have lots of phone numbers for you to call. That's absolutely true, Tyler. If you're going to do if you're going to do that call, make sure you say you are with the Carnage Convention. Um, very important to so get the current rates. Um, I understand there are still rooms left, so sign up now. Yeah, the word on the Facebook group was uh, a few suites and some small rooms, or maybe that's a small suite and some few rooms. Excellent. <laughs> Either way, there's there's there are places to stay, so everybody call them up and find one for yourself. That's right, absolutely. Plenty of places to stay, even within five minutes. So, mm-hmm. And, of course, gaming before Carnage, uh, we have the Green Mountain Gamer Spring Meltdown coming up on April 27th in our old stomping grounds, Lake Moray. Absolutely. It's great to see the Green Mountain Gamers go into Lake Moray. Uh, it's kind of sad for us to leave it and go to Killington. We're really looking forward to it, but um, it's great to see another group come in opposite end of the year from us and uh, offer some great gaming at Lake Moray Resort. Yeah, it's it's such a great space to have any sort of gaming event in that it just knowing that we're going to be in the ballroom upstairs and then right next to the bar with the steamboat lounge and the view over the lake. That's that's my favorite place to hang out in the hotel anyways. So I'm excited Absolutely. I'm excited that's going to be the uh the gaming area. It's great. It, you know, for for those of you that, that you know, you're trying to figure out what what ballroom upstairs. We're talking about the old dealers room for Carnage, which is uh, the Moray room. And that's where the gaming is going to be taking place. And, of course, spilling out into the Steamboat Lounge on Saturday night. So uh, for anyone that's been to Carnage, you'll know that this is a great time and a great place to game. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little bit on Friday night. Who knows? So, you know, people like to get in that old Carnage spirit. I have heard that there will be gaming Friday evening, uh, kind of like Thursday evening before Carnage at Lake Moray. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be my first trip back to a place I wasn't expecting to revisit quite so soon. Well, it'll be nice to be able to be there, uh, do some gaming, and not have to run a convention. <laughs> oh, this is a weekend off for you. Sort of. I am, of course, doing some teaching there. I'll be teaching Tammany Hall and Zolkin, the Mayan calendar. Um, uh, there will also be a Netrunner tournament going on. But uh, for the most part, I'm just going to be doing a lot of gaming. Awesome. Looking forward to it. 
So the topic for tonight is crowdfunding and Kickstarter, which has sort of taken the the, uh, the hobby gaming world by storm in the last year and a half. Absolutely. Just as a, a, a quick uh, overview for people who haven't uh, been bitten by the crowdfunding bug, can you uh, lay out what it is? People put up their projects, not just games, uh, although we will be talking specifically about gaming uh, and games that are being kickstarted and, and, on, and crowdfunded. But it, it, it's uh, people put up their projects uh, looking to get funds to make, to make them happen, basically. Uh, that's what Kickstarter and Indiegogo are all about. Right. It's, it's sort of uh, cutting to the chase and saying, you, you there, consumer, if you will give me the money now, at some point you will get the product that I would not have been able to make otherwise. Correct. Correct. And uh, this, uh, it's really kicked off in the last year and a half, two years, I guess, but the, the idea's been around for a while because I remember backing uh, an, uh, a role-playing game called Wild Talents on what I think was called Fundable at the time, where they actually went through the whole financial rigmarole of holding cash in escrow until it all been collected. But uh, it's sort of the, the Kickstarter slash current crowdfunding model is one where they're Project uh, project organizers have a certain amount of time to raise the funds, and the funds are all collected at once, and then they have this huge wad of cash to uh, make to 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 make their their vision become true. Absolutely, I don't know when when did you do Wild Talent Fundable? Oh golly, I think it was two thousand four, two thousand five. Okay, see, I came in uh, the first game I remember. I didn't kickstart anything, but I remember uh, the first game I came across my my radar was um, Alien Frontiers. Uh, by Clever Mojo Games, in about 2010, 2009 maybe, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a great game, and that was the first time I'd heard of Kickstarter, and I had to go check it out after that. Of course, Kickstarter and Indiegogo aren't the only kinds of crowdfunding that's going on right now. There are some game companies that have had established uh, sourcing practices, right? Absolutely. Um, GMT is one. They have their P500 system, in which they, they put up on their website games. Uh, they're mostly a war gaming com- uh, company, for people that don't know about GMT. Um, and they put up their games uh, that are in design, and they, they as soon as the game hits 500 orders, then they will put it into the production line. Uh, and as soon as it hits about 750, they'll start charging and shipping it out. Um, so they, it's kind of a pre-order system, but it's also a way for them to look at games and, and the interest in games. There are some that languish on P500, and there are some that make it in a matter of weeks. So uh, Kickstarter and Indiegogo are certainly not the first. Uh, they do it a little differently, but GMT has been doing this for a number of years. The, the major difference between GMTs like P500 and uh, the Kickstarter is, is and, it, and it's a debate that's going on right now, is pre-order versus the investment aspect of of the two, the two types, the two systems. GMT P500 is, is basically a pre-order that you're guaranteed to get if 500 orders are made. Uh, Kickstarter itself and Indiegogo say that, that they are an investment, that, that you are investing in the person's project, whether it be a game, a movie, music, or whatever, um, and that you may, not, may or may not get what they say. Nine times out of ten, ninety-nine times out of a hundred, you're going to. But again, it, it, it's that that pre-order versus investment, uh, which is a debate that's going on as, well, as how Kickstarter and Indiegogo are being used. Right. It's the uh, Kickstarter would have Kickstarter's written policy is there's really no obligation for the project creator to deliver anything after the the campaign is ended. 
that's strictly on the organizer following through as they said they would do. That, that's correct. And, and, like, and like I said, GMT, they, they, if it hits 500, it will be made. Um, Kickstarter is being used as pre-order by some of the, the bigger companies, I believe. Um, uh, you're starting to see um, companies like Steve Jackson's games. Uh, they did Ogre, a reprint of Ogre, just, just last year. Uh, again, they probably were going to make it. Maybe they weren't. But it's kind of a pre-order system, and a lot of people are seeing it as a pre-order system. Right. Uh, I, I think um, some Kickstarters in particular got some flack for including pledge levels that were designed specifically as sort of a wholesale shortcut for uh, stores or distributors. They, there, there, there certainly are. And, and like I said, some of the more established game companies are actually getting into Kickstarter. They weren't there originally, but they're, they're starting to come in. You're starting to see... Um, the uh, like I said, the, the Eagle Games, the Griffin Games, Steve Jackson Games. Yep. Um, these are these are established companies that that publish elsewhere, but are trying it on Kickstarter. Even GMT this year uh, unsuccessfully tried to kickstart one of their games that had been on P, languishing on P five hundred just to give it a jolt. Um, so these these companies are coming in and and using Kickstarter as a pre order almost. Yeah. There, there's a, there's. There's the pre-order component. There's a marketing component where once, when something hits the Kickstarter scene, it's like it, it generates buzz, probably because Kickstarter's wired into every social media network you can hope for, and it, it, people, you know, get emotionally invested in the in the campaign. They put their money down. They want to see the campaign succeed, so they're egging they're egging it on. They're they're asking they're getting engaged with the the designer behind the project. And that's what Kickstarter is supposed to be, I think. You know, the pre-order is, is one thing, and, and the established companies are fine if they want to use it that way at times. But, but what you're talking about is these smaller companies that, you know, the game or, or their project might not have been made if it wasn't for Kickstarter. And they're the ones that are getting the marketing and the, and the, and the buzz going about all these great games um, that are coming out. With savvy project runners, absolutely, yeah. I'm, my personal experience has been seeing the marketing and the social buzz come from established properties with established publishers who are utilizing Kickstarter, like White Wolf, for instance. They okay. they have this um, 20th anniversary series of their classic World of Darkness role-playing games where they're sort of collecting all the content and publishing these massive books that they say couldn't be published otherwise without getting the money up front through Kickstarter. And that's where really what I'm seeing, I personally have seen, because you know that's where I'm looking, uh, that's where I've seen the buzz generate and push a project forward to higher than expected levels. But at the same time, it's all it, it's it's great not only for up and coming publishers who are who want to get in, who want to get into the field and don't you know can't rustle up investors. Uh, the, the local game designer Neil Carr, for instance, is putting out his very his first uh, four pay role playing supplement, Companions of the Firmament, which we covered uh, back in the spring when his campaign was getting underway. So his book is approaching completion now, and it wouldn't have happened without getting that infusion of uh, backing and momentum from Kickstarter. Absolutely. Yeah, the, it, the, the smaller publishers are certainly the, the, the ones that, that I think benefit the most from Kickstarter. The big publishers that are coming in, they're using it as a pre-order. They're doing their thing, like, like you say, like a White Wolf. Um, the one that I keep going back to is Steve, Steve Jackson Games, uh, their, their big ogre reprint. Um, Which was massive. But, hugely massive. Uh, it is actually, I believe, uh, like the third or fourth most funded game 
on Kickstarter. Yeah, it it must have set a record when it f- succeeded, and it, not many have surpassed it since. Uh, I'm looking at it right now, and uh, there are three that have surpassed it. Uh, uh, Zombie Side Season 2, which is really new, uh, just funded. Uh, Kingdom of Death and Sedition Wars, Battle for Alabaster. Uh, those are the only three that have surpassed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, on all smaller companies, but um, which which... which Brings me to another another thing that we're seeing. Um, just looking at these games and some of the other some of the other companies, there are, there are companies that literally have made their mark by kickstarting. Um, the people that do Zombie Sider are a perfect example. Cool Mini or not is is the company. They've done Zombie Side, Sedition Wars, uh, Relic Knights. I mean, they're looking at probably top four, five, six, even of uh, funded games. And then there are others, uh, indie board games, Resistance, Avalon, and Flashpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, tasty minstrel games with Eminent Domain, Dungeon Roll, which was another really big one just recently. Ground Floor, Kings of Air and Steam. So some of these some of these companies that are around now and have made names for themselves came through Kickstarter originally, or Indiegogo. Right. It's crowdfunding is another way that uh, the barriers to entry and publishing have lowered um, since desktop publishing in the 90s and then open sourcing rules in the early aughts for role-playing games. Uh, these these barriers keep dropping and are letting people in who have great ideas but weren't necessarily able to get them in front of people who could make them happen. True, true. I, I, and I think that, that in some cases that's great. In other cases, um, we're also seeing a flood of of mediocre games coming through Kickstarter that are being funded. This past year, probably the most games, most board games published in, uh, there were the most board games published in a number of years. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of that has to do with Kickstarter. A lot of games came through Kickstarter, um, and, and uh, they were so-so games and may not have been, may not have been made um, had they tried to go through the, the more traditional route of finding a publisher. When you say that, are you, are you saying that uh, the overall number of games being published in a year has increased and thus the number of so-so games has gone up proportionally? Or do you think the, the so-so games are rising out of proportion to you know, the silver and gold medal games? Uh, it's hard to say. I, I, I can't put an exact number on it. My, my gut feeling is that we're seeing more so-so games. Um, we're seeing... a. Uh, the, 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 you're, you're staying with the top percentage of, of really great games every year, but because there's so many more games, there's so many more mediocre games coming out. Yeah, that's that's been my feeling as well. But I've I've sort of been uh, putting it down to Sturgeon's law, where you know ninety percent of everything is crap, and it's there's there there have always been so-so games. It's just it's getting so much easier to make the games that more people can make the so-so games. But you can also well, get more people who can make the excellent games. I I I I'm not so sure I agree with that as far as as far as making the excellent games because I think what you're still finding is you're still finding that there are um, about I'm just going to use a round number ten ten great games a year that come out ten great board games okay a year that come out. just just for a number right. there could be more there could be less um, but you're still getting that ten. But if you know, two years ago, there two or three years ago, there were a hundred games made, put out ten of them. That's ninety percent are, are so-so. Now, if there's two hundred, two hundred and fifty being put out, ten great games, you're getting more. Uh, it's a lower percentage at the top, and and that's just my gut feeling on 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 how Kickstarter has affected the game, the gaming uh, uh, industry. 
with Kickstarter, you're picking up more duds because more people are seeing them. And you know, there's a you know, there's a percentage of people that do like those mediocre games. Yeah, and, 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 and it's they, it's mediocre right. for a value of some people don't like to play it, and other people do. Correct, but it, but they're, you're hitting more niche communities. Yeah, and Kickstarter's making those projects more visible than if someone had set up, you know, mygamecompany.com. Absolutely. Uh, Kickstarter and Indiegogo are bringing those, those niche games out. Um, I've seen a run of zombie games, uh, tons and tons of zombie games. For me, most zombie games are, are okay, and I enjoy zombie games. But for other people, they're fantastic, and Kickstarter allows them to, to get these, these zombie games they want made. It also allows reprints of, of what people call grail games, or games that are hard to find that have been out of print or had a low print run. A perfect example of this is Pandasaurus Games put out Tammany Hall. Tammany Hall was a, a grail game. There were about, I, I think, 500 made originally by Stratus Games. And uh, when they kickstarted it, they did, they did well, and, and now Tammany Hall is, is coming through. So again, there, there's these niche, grail, uh, small companies that are doing well, um, when I say mediocre, I mean you're you're just there's just so much you can't take it all in, and there's just some games that are just so so, and probably would never have passed the muster of other publishing companies. Yeah, and, and in a way, that's that's the a key point of Kickstarter is it's appealing to a niche audience who uh, who a publisher doesn't think they could market to, but the niche audience can get themselves together to put the money on the table. Correct. Going back to something mentioned earlier, I think part of the the, the whole f- the 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 flooding of the market, because regardless of what you think of any of the games, the market is absolutely being flooded with titles. Period. Because so many more people are able to get the money together to publish, they're doing it. The number the number of games per year is just up. Period. Um, I think it has parallels with desktop publishing in the '90s and the D20 boom in the aughts the early aughts desktop publishing made it so much easier for uh uh just you know just in my experience uh role-playing companies to put a book together easily and sh- you know send it off to a printer somewhere and get back crates of books where and um so you found like th- that's really why white wolf got started was the early 90s when they could make a book on quark express and then that that trend continued through the 90s where people would could just really write whatever they wanted and then they still had to get the money together for print runs and all that because print on demand hadn't happened, but the barrier was significantly lower. And then in the early aughts, a D20 did the same thing where suddenly you didn't even have to write rules anymore. You just borrowed an existing rule set and wrote your custom content for it. And out of each of those, I think uh, you you had a lot of stuff that was, you know, it, it appealed to a certain set and that was it. But you also found, stu- uh, found pu- publishers that either hit it right the first time or had that opportunity to uh, sharpen their craft and come out with some really awesome stuff that appealed to a lot of people. Uh, Green Ornin came out of the D20 boom, for instance. They they you know they started off publishing D20 books. They have since come out with time-tested games like Mutants and Masterminds for superhero playing. They have the Song of Ice and Fire role-playing game. They have the Dragon Age RPG, and they're still producing original content as well. They're a company that's still going now after a lot of those D20 boom publishers folded after three pamphlets. Right. So, so, so there are success stories coming out. 
Yeah, I mean, we're we're in the early days of Kickstarter. It's like you're. It's like we're in two thousand one, two thousand two of that D twenty time. But I think the I think it's going to emerge as a similar pattern. I I, I agree with you there. I think that, that you are going to see some some success stories. Some companies that started small, um, and and continued on and and, and made gems. Uh, uh, you know, I can see a few companies already that are that are going to go that way. Probably Tasty Minstrel Games, maybe even Pandasaurus Games, um, that are just smaller uh, and putting out good products that that people like across the board. Um, but the other thing with the glut is, I know you're talking about the D20. I, I look at it. I, I've always collected comics, and I look at the the comic glut of the 1990s and how it almost killed the the industry. Mm. The big, the big companies were putting out too many comics, uh, too many special comics, which leads into another thing Kickstarter does: is the Kickstarter exclusives and the stretch goals and things. Um, right. But they were putting out all these comics, and these comics are now worth nothing. And people, there was a backlash where people stopped buying because there was so much to buy, too much. No, hold on, hold on. I, I have to stop you. Are you saying my six variant covers of an X Men issue aren't worth anything? I am exactly saying that. If it was made in the early 1990s and it's got a hologram on it, it's not worth as much as the ones that were are rarer because there are literally hundreds of thousands of those out there, whereas a regular print run of a comic might be 50,000. I have to rethink my investment strategies. Well, I, but the thing was, everybody was investing at that time. Everybody was, was going for those comics and going for... That because it was a, it was a novelty. This is, you, these companies had never done it before, and they saw great profits initially, and then mm-hmm. a drop off that almost killed the industry. Uh, it right now it's back to its normal levels, and it's back at its you know a good comic sells through fifty thousand copies, an okay comic sells through twenty thousand. The the foil variant cover era was also coming off a time when older issues were had reached a point in the market where they were worth money. Absolutely, and, and that's where I thought they were capitalizing on. They, they were, they were, and and they were trying to to recreate that. I believe this is my in my opinion is, is that they were trying to recreate that by creating these collectible comics with the variant variant uh, covers and the hologram covers and the uh, the what have you. Um, right. But they they did it all wrong by producing way too many of them. The reason Action Comics number one or Spider Man number one or these older comics are worth more is there's fewer of them out there. Yeah, that takes sixty or seventy years of moving house and fires for that to happen. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. And 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 that you know that leads me into Kickstarter. Kickstarter is notorious. I don't. I mean, I'm not as familiar with the RPG end of it, um, but in board games, exclusives. Uh, people will pay extra money to get exclusives, thinking their game is going to be. And I know there are collectors out there, and I know a few, that want every Kickstarter exclusive there is because it won't be gotten by the, the rest of the public. And that might make their game worth more down the line. Right. It's sort of the, the grail exclusive to games that Correct. are continuing to stay in print because of crowdfunding. Right. Now, now. To clarify, too, I, I believe that this works better than, say, what, what happened with the comics, um, because these are exclusive. There are only so many of them. If there are a 1,000 backers of a game, then those 1,000 backers will get these exclusives, and that's it. Right. So, uh, yeah, okay. It, I, I think that the board game companies certainly have it better than Marvel or DC did <laughs> in the early 90s. But, again, yeah, people are starting to expect these things as well. Right, that becomes sort of the the criteria of a potential backer is they're not just looking at 
well, what is this project about? What uh, what about it appeals to me? Who's writing the project? Because often the designer can be uh, a strong influence on whether or not a person will back a project, but also what am I going to get beyond the book? You know, are they selling me minis? Are they selling me extra content? Are they selling me the add-on with extra dice? Are they selling me special dice? dice special custom dice seem to be a big thing in RPGs uh, at any rate. Where, right. You know, they have special icons and all that. Right. Well, it's the same thing in board games. Dice, uh, extra figures, extra meeples, um, a card you can only get if you kickstart it that will never be sold elsewhere, things like that. And, and people are starting to not only um, go, oh, this is great, but, oh, what are you doing for me? What, what are you giving me exclusive in addition to the game? It goes back to my sense that when they try to present crowdfunding as investing and backing a project, getting the game is not a great return on your investment. I like not only getting the uh, the add-ons and the exclusive, but also sort of the, the cachet of, yeah, I got that. I was there on the ground floor. Right, right. Well, and that's the other big thing. Uh, you know, I know people that love it and will go and get their name in the rule book. So that every, every time someone plays that game, their name is there in the rule book. And that's... And that's Right. I, I agree with you. It's it's an investment, but you're not getting. You know, I, I think we talked about this before we started. Is that is that uh, you're not getting monetary back from it? In a normal investment, you'd put money in and you'd get a percentage back, or you know, it would keep paying you back or whatever. In a Kickstarter, especially in games, you're getting a game. So what are you really investing in? Sometimes it's just to make sure the game is made, like in the case of a Tammany Hall or even even Steve Jackson's Ogre, which, you know, people are getting a game that hasn't been in print in 15 years, 20 years now. Yeah. And and they're getting a really nice version of it. I mean, there, there was, there's been discussion about that, about whether... Because originally Ogre was going to happen no matter what, and then the story changed slightly, and Ogre wasn't going to happen the way that it wound up happening. So. Right. Kickstarter certainly had an, an, an enabling effect there if it w- wasn't the only reason for Ogre's existence. Correct, correct. And, and, and I think that's what you're investing in. You're investing to see something made that you want to see made. And if you get something special from it, like at one of the exclusives or, or whatever, whatever it may be, dice, extra meeples or whatever, um, then that's a bonus as well. That's what you're investing in. Just the satisfactory glow of knowing you made it existed. There are... I'm I'm just looking over at my uh, RPG shelves now. There's okay at the moment. There are two books on the shelf that exist because I helped make them exist. Right. Or th- there'll be five within the next six months. My I and and, and they they wouldn't be there. They wouldn't be up on your shelf. They wouldn't be on anyone's shelf if you and the other people that backed it didn't do it. Didn't didn't right. didn't uh, back this company on Kickstarter or Indiegogo um, to make these books get made. So. And I feel that way about some of the games that are com- that, that have been made. Uh, Tam- I keep going back to Tammany Hall because Tammany Hall was a game I had looked at, but if you wanted to go get it a year ago, you were paying 100 bucks for it because it was a Grail game. There were 500, 600 made. Um, it wasn't getting made. It was not going to get reprinted. Stratus Games was not going to reprint it. Pantasaurus picked it up, kickstarted it, and it got reprinted. Um, I feel good about that, that now people can enjoy this game that I had liked and and uh, you know, and I help make that happen. Yep, and you can play it without worrying about ruining your precious uh, eBay copy. <laughs> I didn't go eBay. I waited. I waited for the Kickstarter. 
Well, that's what I mean. You don't have you don't have to think to yourself. I paid how I didn't I didn't pay a ridiculous no- yeah. amount of, for this on eBay. I got it at the right price, and it's okay if someone spills a soda. That's right. That's right. Well, no, it's not okay if someone spills. A soda. <laughs> but, it's less it's, bad it's, if someone spills bad. a soda. That's right. It's less bad. It's less bad. Now, now with that, there are also some horror stories that go with kick right. and Indiegogo um, and Amity Hall. For for all that it for all that it was in the Grail game that it was, there were some people that were upset that it was late, um, that it went to stores before it went to Kickstarter backers. Really? There, yeah, there was there was a delay. Now it was only a three month delay, which is not an unusual amount of time for a game to be delayed at, uh, from Kickstarter. Um, I found that most games are delayed from Kickstarter. That's uniformly everything I've ever backed was delayed by at least six months. Right. You know, so three months is good. It's good, but the big, the big, uh, the big brouhaha over Tammany Hall was that people were able to get their pre-ordered copies from various online game stores before the backers got them. Yeah, that's that's bad management. That happened with an RPG as well. They became flesh, where uh, reportedly um, the the publisher was selling copies at Gen Con before backers got theirs. Right. Right. And, and for me, it wasn't as big a deal. I didn't mind. But for a lot of people, that's, that's another thing that they get and invest for their investment is they get the game first. Right. So, and in fact, in, in some uh, reward structures, the, the early bird special is built in where you get it sooner or you get it cheaper. Correct. Correct. And, and a lot of, uh, I, that was something when I first started kickstarting, you didn't see a lot of early bird specials. Now, to encourage people, almost every game has an early bird special for the most part. I think that must be a board game thing because I'm not seeing it much in RPGs. Well, I'm seeing more and more of it. There are still some. There are still some holdouts that don't do it. But there are there are a number number that that an early bird special and and they tend to be sometimes some of the bigger games that that uh, you know some of them the big games that that uh, big fun, heavily funded games. Right, the ones where they can sort of eat that early bird special in their uh, their economies of scale. The one, the one thing the early bird special does is it starts the ball rolling, and then the marketing kicks in and the advertising and the buzz kicks in. And people, oh, well, you know, we've got 400 backers. They're all early bird specials. But then people go, ooh, i got to go check this game out. Mm-hmm. Because it, it's, it's getting there. They can almost fund it with the early bird and then... They go on to bigger, like I said, heavy, heavier funded games have early bird specials. Um, yep. it, it, it's a buzz thing. Buzz cuts both ways. Um, just going by some examples in the RPG world, like some monumentally huge RPG Kickstarters just got so big, they got so top-heavy, the, the creator couldn't handle fulfillment sometimes. like uh, Or at least uh, planning out their structure, like um, Order of the Stick, for oh, instance. right, right. That 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 Kickstarter just kept going and going, and the uh, the creator was adding in more stretch goals. And by the end of the campaign, he he probably made money, but not not the kind of profit you think he would have walked away with with the final total on the Kickstarter. Now I have a question: when 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 he was doing this, did things change, and he just kept adding things? Yeah, he was adding in as they went, stretch goals essentially. Adding adding in adding and adding in stretch goals, but did he but yeah. did he also change anything? Um, Change like the the reward levels. Uh, well, not not necessarily reward levels, but like rules. Uh, the what the game was going to be. Uh, 
Oh no! This this was um a series of uh, trade paperbacks of his comics. Oh okay, trip. okay. It was it was game based. Like it's Order of the Stick is a big RPG pastiche comic. What I'm asking is because there have been board games that I I have kickstarted and pulled out of simply because um and nothing bad against any of the creators or any of the designers, but they tend to get wrapped up in the in the hype and the and the suggestions from investors. Mm-hmm. and change rules or change art or change things. Whereas when I went to Kickstarter, I liked what I saw initially, and as it changed, I said, wait a second, this isn't what I signed up for. I haven't, uh, I haven't watched a Kickstarter where that was happening yet. Um, that, that, that's, that's interesting. I hadn't considered, although it certainly makes sense because you can basically talk to the designer through a text Oh, box. absolutely, absolutely. Um, the, the one that I'm talking about, the, the main one I'm talking about is um, by Escape Pod Games, the gunship. Uh, Gunship First Strike, which looks like a fantastic game, and I, I really I know people that did kickstart it, and I'm looking forward to playing it with them. But for me, it started out as one thing, and as it it, it was one of the bigger bigger uh, heavier funded games at the time. As the designer, he was so excited, and as people started making suggestions, he started taking these suggestions in stride and adding them into the game, which delayed the game. Um, and he made changes and so on to the point where before the Kickstarter was even over, like about two weeks before it was over, I said, you know, this is not the game that I signed up for. This is not the game that I was looking at initially. It changed too much. Mm -hmm. Um, I still want it to be a good game, but I'm not 100% sure that it will be for me at this, you know. Um, So I, I backed out of it. So that was like a scope creep design def- design focused diffusion issue. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, um, uh, it's happened to me at least one other time, um, just recently, where they've changed something in the game before the end of the Kickstarter. And and, mm-hmm. and I I think that's that's a big problem with Kickstarter too. Is sometimes these games come out and these people are so excited and they're not. It's not a hundred percent that. The game is not set in stone. It's not finished playtesting. It's not uh, even close to its final um, form. Yeah, that's that's something I'm always looking at when I'm you know sort of evaluating a Kickstarter is where is the creator in the process? If they have an idea, uh, I'm probably going to decline backing right. that. But if someone someone has a manuscript or you know a print and play copy that they're trying to bring to fruition. That's a, that's a much more uh, tempting investment. Absolutely, and and that's where the more established companies have really um, done well with Kickstarter. Uh, uh, I just kickstarted one. Eagle Games um, put out Triassic Terror, which is a, an area control dinosaur game. Um, I have a ten-year-old loves dinosaurs. I figure this might be good. But here's the thing: is this game had rules. It had it was set. The, the pieces were set. They had one stretch goal, uh, and that was the only thing that, that even remotely held the game up, and it's not even holding the game up. This ended in February. It's shipping next week. Unheard of it in Kickstarter. So these people were on the ball. The rules were out. Everything was there. It was right set. So I said, this is a no-brainer. I can, I can kickstart this one, and it'll be, it'll be good. It'll be ready. It's, it's, it's in its final stages. So was is Eagle Games like an established board game? Eagle name? Games is an established board game name. Eagle and Griffin Games, um, they put out. Uh, I can't even think of what games they put out. Um, I'd probably have to look, but 
We can put some in the show notes when you think of it. I will definitely. I, I I ask because um, I think that's that's another it's it's a distinguishing factor in these projects is does the does the creator already have their production fulfillment chain established? With established companies, they've already got the context. They know who to call. They know how to you know they know how to send the proofs in. They know what the the whole process is like. They just need the infusion to pay the printer or or whomever to make it happen. Right. Right, uh, and and there are there are there are um, companies that, that come in ready to do that, uh, and then there are other companies um, like the Family Hall Fiasco, Pandasaurus Games is learning. They're a new game company. Um, they have the Great Fire of London coming and Lost Valley. I'm not sure if it's come out or not yet. Uh, both kickstarted. They're learning, and and hopefully they take they took they take the process and delays and the things that happened from their Tammany Hall, and make it better for the next games that they work on. And then there are other games like Eagle Games or Griffin, or Griffin Games, Eagle Griffin Games, that are established, and the game is right there and ready to go um, as you kickstart it. My personal hope is when people, uh, you know, when, when someone decides to make Kickstarter their first product, they're, they're scaling their, their goals and their uh, intentions appropriately. Like with um, Neil and uh, Companions of the Firmament, he had a very deliberate plan laid out that he was upfront with from the beginning. He was like, "It's going to be this book. It's going to be this big. It, I've you know I've done this groundwork. This is what this is what I have left to do. I only need this much." And it was in the world of Kickstarter a, a token sum, but he he deliberately made his his first project modest to as much demonstrate he had the chops for design as make the book financially possible. Right, right. I, I follow. I follow Neil's um, Kickstarter. I did not kickstart it. Um, sorry, Neil. But I'm not an RPG person, so it, it would sit on my shelf and do nothing. But I'm, it's okay. You can admire my copy. <laughs> well, maybe I will play your play uh, the scenario. <laughs> I, I, I followed what he's been doing. I uh, I can follow things like Kickstarter, and I follow what he's been doing, and he's been updating regularly. He's been mm-hmm. letting people in on the process, which is another thing that Kickstarter allows. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a very two-edged sword, if you ask me. Um, he, he's been doing well uh, with how the process is going, with some delays that have happened. Um, and people can follow that with Kickstarter. They are not only investing, but they are privy to the delays to the process that goes into making a game or an RPG um, module or book. Um, they're privy to this. And I think that, it's, like I said, it's a double-edged sword. Some people are, this is great, this is cool, and, it, and it's inspiring other people to, to go out and try it. But it's also bringing them under scrutiny. Well, there's this delay. So, like we've we talked about, you know, most Kickstarter games go three to six months over their, their dates. Yep. And people are going, well, why? You know, I want it now. You said this date. That happens all the time to Fantasy Flight games or to Z-Man games, but you don't see that because they don't say, yeah. you're going to get this in May, and then it's not out till December. It's all done behind the scenes. So, yeah, either they don't announce a game until it's on the boat from the printer, or right. in the, I think Fantasy Flight's one of the exceptions in that they, they reveal as much as they do about the, the production pipeline. Right. I love watching the, 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 the process. And Frostforge Games, um, Island Fortress, uh, by Brian Johnson, um, 
is a perfect example. He was very open and honest about it and the delays, and it was delayed quite a while, longer than Tammany Hall, but it never got the negative publicity that Tammany Hall did or some of these other games did. Um, Brian was featured in Going Cardboard. Uh, he had taken Island Fortress, which I originally, I'm not sure the exact name, but it was, it was a, a game on, on the wall, Great Wall of China, and he took it to a, a publisher, and something happened. Now, I'm not exactly sure on all the details. I think it's discussed in, in Going Cardboard. Uh, mm-hmm. you, can look, you can check that out for the exact story, but the story goes that, that he, he tried to, to get it published. Uh, something happened. It was never published. Uh, had to wait a number of years for the rights to revert back to him, and then started Frostforge Games and, and kickstarted Island Fortress. And I think that's where Kickstarter shines. Here's, here's a guy that had tried to go the route, the publishing route, didn't make it for whatever reason, his fault, their fault. Uh, I think, I, I personally think it was more the publisher's fault in this case. Um, well, in the end, it, it's, it's a business decision and, and correct. they, they felt they made the right one. And then he went and published his game and was successful. Right. And, and I just received this game. It's a beautiful looking game. And I followed, I followed with great interest. Uh, Brian is, is a relatively local to us up here in Vermont. He's a, he's a Massachusetts. I've seen him at unity. Um, and I, I'm, I'm very, I'm very happy for him, and I, I loved following this project, even though it was delayed, and I didn't care about that. I, I, we were taken through step by step how this game was made, um, where the delays were, where you know what, what the process of picking colors, the process of of what the board should look like. Um, great, it, it was fantastic, and and that's where I think. For me, Kickstarter can shine. But again, you know, he went away from the publishers, away away from the standard um, way to get a game published. You know, Kickstarter is all about moving away from the publisher model. And for for some people, it it lets them go out on their own and, and accomplish that. But for other people, I think there's a benefit to having the the structure of an established publisher that you need to work with who keeps you on your design remit. Uh, there's one there's one example of an RPG Kickstarter. Uh, um, uh, Mike Nistel's dun- uh, Mega Dungeon, where Mike Nistel des- can design a Mega Dungeon. Mike Nistel cannot uh, de- run a company. <laughs> great and, great uh, designer, not a very good publisher. Yeah, not, not a businessman. And uh, he, he's, he's since admitted that. And... Uh, is in the process of transferring some or all of the uh, the publishing responsibilities to an, another company. Right, uh, and 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 we kind of touched on this. And, and established companies certainly have an advantage in Kickstarter in that that they're they're well versed in the publishing. A guy that's just designed a game coming in, and he's trying to learn a new skill set to publish something. It's you know they may be great at designing. But publishing is a whole different ball game, and getting that you know all the all the ins and outs that go into making a game after it's yep. designed, um, I, and and that can be a problem with some of the Kickstarters, where if you go the the, tra- the more traditional publishing route, a publisher will know what to do. They'll know how they'll have artists on um, on staff. They'll have uh, are in the wings ready to go. They'll they'll know you know what colors work what. What board they should use, what thickness of cards, what you know they have editors for any rule books or for any RPG books. Um, yeah. 
yeah, uh, people with an idea for technical writing and how to write instructions and production buyers who have contacts with printing agencies where they know what kind of card stack is here and what kind of, you know, uh, ink is best used. Right. Going through a publisher, you know, if you have, if a designer has a design, but not necessarily the the will or knowledge to get it through production, though those professionals will just shepherd it through the process and take a lot of the aggravation away it with the trade-off of you've either signed away your game or have re- reached some other arrangement. True. The other thing the publisher does is act as a buffer. They, they will stop a game that may not be up to snuff um, and might get kick-started. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I hate to say that because I think everyone should have their dream and everyone should be able to do it, and, and I do support Kickstarter, but sometimes, you know, <laughs> something slips through. Something that a publisher would say, yeah, that's we're, I'm not really certain how we're going to be able to sell that. Right. That's what Kickstarter's for. Someone says, nope, I, I think I can make this work, and they go and do it anyways. And either they sell out all their copies or they end up with a tractor trailer of packing cases. True. Or, or they're not successful. And, and I've, I've actually Kickstarted a few games that have not been successful, but that I thought would be great, but apparently not enough people agreed with me. Yeah, the uh, the failed Kickstarter. I haven't I haven't done that yet. I've been lucky so far. <laughs> uh, I have done it. I have done it. Um, there was a there was a Goblin card game I was interested in, and it was just a silly little game, but didn't even come close. Um, I think there was myself and about twenty other backers, and uh, <laughs> it died. But uh, for me, I you know I, I I would I think I would have enjoyed the game, but. And then there's, there was another game that I wanted to kickstart. I did kickstart, and it failed. Um, but there was no marketing for it. There was no buzz. There was no nothing. And the people just kind of sat there and hoped that the money would come in without saying a word, not even on Board Game Geek, not on anywhere. It really seems like a, 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 a part-time, if not a full-time job, to keep the mojo going on a crowdfunding campaign. Because right. it, it's the designer, the project organizer, the designer is... The the you know the the really vocal good ones are not not to equate vocal with good but the the vocal ones who are constantly out there pounding the digital pavement are writing all these updates about the campaign and how the design's going and other times someone's like yep I got an idea I'd I'd like some money please oh my campaign is ended I see it's over right well you know and that that happens too and and I so I guess there is kind of a, a... Uh, for lack of a better word, check and balance on it. I mean, you know, if a game, if a person doesn't put any effort into it, the game probably won't get kickstarted. Um, but again, I, I kind of sit the fence on this. I like Kickstarter in some, and, and I think that, that there are some great companies and some great games coming out of Kickstarter. But I think for every one of those, there's ten more that come out that are eh, so-so. Yeah, I'm. I've. I mean, I was discerning with it from the beginning. Generally, only going for projects that were tied to a property i already knew i liked but as time has gone on and i occasionally glance at the uh um the the kickstarter spotlight thread on rpg.net i think more and more this 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 is too much for me to absorb and so much of it isn't aimed at me that i don't i i i I don't get into crowdfunding as much as i did even for those those few campaigns i i have i have personally kickstarted i think 15 or 16 um different projects uh mostly games one movie the gamers the new gamers hands of fate um cool yeah yeah i'm waiting for that it should be out by carnage i believe 
But we'll have a viewing party at your house first. Oh, right? absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to watch it before Carnage, but then hopefully we'll have a big screen at Killington and we'll be able to watch it there um, from Dead Gentlemen. I've become more discerning, and, and I've started, and actually I, I, maybe I've, I've gone more towards how you started out, and I'm looking more at the established companies than the smaller guys, unless the smaller guys really intrigue me. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, Eagle Games, and um, I went with them because I've had success with them before. Um, I like their games, and they're an established company. So I went Triassic Terra, like I said, this game that I just kickstarted, was a no-brainer for me. Whereas a lesser, if that had been done by another company that was maybe newer, I might have not pulled the trigger on that one. Now, have you found yourself following small companies or designers who are working strictly in crowdfunding? I, I have. I, I have, actually. Um, one company that I follow quite, quite a bit um, is Tasty Minstrel Games. Um, and I did just kickstart their last two projects, Dungeon Roll and uh, their expansion to Eminent Domain. Um, I've kickstarted Ground Floor with them. I missed out on the initial Eminent Domain. And I missed out on Kings of Air and Steam, but this is this is a company that that they do a little bit of both, but they really hit the ground running with Kickstarter, and they have built up a good following through Kickstarter. And and now Kickstarter has that uh, that double edged button where you can follow specific project creators, and I get I think the I get the feeling that's put a lot of people backing a lot more projects than they thought they might have. It's true. It's true. Um, Tasty Minstrel, which is, which is Michael Mind, is, is who I follow, because um, he's the one that puts them up there. Uh, it's, uh, um, or Seth Jaffe, who is their, their lead designer. Um, I follow these guys because they've, they've done really well with their campaigns, and they've done really well with their games so far. Um, and it's, like I said, I just kick-started like, their last three games just because I've been following them and they appealed to me. And, and I know that I'm going to get my game in a relatively timely manner. Always a delay. But I'm going to get a good product, too. Yeah, that's, that's, the, um, that's the perspective I've, I'm, I do my best to take. Sometimes my impatience gets the better, better of me, but for the most part, I think of Kickstarter as uh, I, I try and really divorce it from investment and pre-ordering and almost think of it like art patronage, which... Is, which offends me as a consumer, but in, in terms of maintaining peace of mind with this sort of stuff, it really works because it's like I'm, I'm backing this project in the sense that I want someone to create something and then I forget about it and in 6 to 12 months a book arrives in my mailbox. And I was like, ah, a wonderful gift from out of nowhere. Right. And, well, and that's the other thing is, is uh, you do. It's just like sometimes it's just out of nowhere. It's like Island Fortress arrived and uh, the day after I got the email saying it was being shipped. Of course, we're close to its distribution in New Hampshire, but <laughs> it, it was nice. I, you know, kind of, I'd been following it, but there hadn't been a lot of updates because we knew that it was coming on the boat, so it just kind of arrived at my door, and it was great. So, mm-hmm. um, and I would, I would follow Brian and Frostforge Games again if he, if he decides to go that route again. Um, I would certainly look at anything that he put up on Kickstarter. Then there are some that I go, wait a second, these people have, you know, burnt me or burnt others and i and i don't go near them um so have, have you been involved in the campaign where someone just fell off the grid after it ended 
No, I have not. Not totally off the grid. Uh, I have heard, like I said, when we talked about horror stories earlier, I've heard horror stories of people falling off the grid, uh, the sun telling people not to make the game, uh, various things like that. Uh, I don't know how much of it's true, but... I'm sorry, the sun? There was a... Now, I, I don't know the name of the game. There was a there was a rumor going around, and I believe so. This is all hearsay. Uh, it, it is hearsay. I, I believe it's to I believe it to be true, but I have never seen it. That there was a woman that, that created a game and got it went through Kickstarter, and then something happened, and she hears voices or something, and the son told her to not make the game, and the game. You know, I think I heard a bit about that too. I, now it, it could be an urban legend. It could, <laughs> and and I'm going to say that right now. It could be an urban legend, but. It could also be true. Uh, you know, I, I, I do know, um, uh, I know that uh, Chuck, Chuck Davis, who is uh, another staff member, uh, kick-started Upfront, the reprint of Upfront, which is an old war game. Uh, mm-hmm. It's uh, Radiant or Reliant Games. Um, Radiant Games. Um, Upfront was originally done by Valley Games. Um, there is a lawsuit pending against Valley Games. And... This lawsuit, this person that's bringing this lawsuit, he made loans to Valley Games. Um, he is now going after Radiant Games, saying that Radiant is really just Valley operating as a different entity, which puts up front, which was kickstarted at a heavy, heavy, I want to say $350,000 um, funded, um, puts them in a tough spot because up front may not get made now because if he wins his lawsuit, the money's gone. To pay legal fees. To pay legal fees. Now, they have assured everybody, Radiant has assured everybody, that this, is, this game is still going to get made no matter what. It may take more time. But, you know, I've talked to Chuck about this, and he does not kickstart a lot, but he was like, well, you know, it, I understand that it was an investment and that, you know, um, it's unfortunate that this may happen, but, but uh, what are you going to do? So um, I do know people that have been involved in these, and, and you know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see on up front. Yeah, it, it it goes back to that. You just, I, I really think that you got to regard the money is gone, right? And uh, and never back at a, um, never back at a level that you're not willing to absorb that utter loss without any right. compensation. Right. Uh, you know, I I think that it happens more outside of the gaming um, projects. I yeah, that it happens a lot in the electronics or the yeah technology, technology product projects um, that. It just never materializes. Um, so far, so so good for me. Everything has come. But yeah, because I I think part of it is the in the in the gaming world, people are doing this mostly out of passion. Absolutely, they they love designing and publishing. Absolutely, I, I you know absolutely. I, I think that they they have a dream, they have it, they have a game, they have a vision for a game, and Kickstarter is a way to go now. Yeah, it, it, it's a way to get started. It's a way to keep going if if your traditional distribution chain and market isn't as uh, isn't juicing the revenue stream like it used to. Right. That's another reason that White Wolf uh, is is in Kickstarter. Is they they have done this whole shift away from traditional distribution and publishing, where they all their books are put on demand. So and their market share or um, their visibility has gone down. I don't know what their market share is. But uh, it's it's changed the way that they raise money and then sell their product. Now, now, do they do this? Um, I mean, I, I I have played RPGs, and White Wolf was one of the ones that I used to like to play. Um, uh, White Wolf does, uh, if I'm not mistaken, they do vampire. 
Yep, vampire, yeah. werewolf, mage, yeah, the big three. Quite a bit of that um, back in the day. And and is it just because they aren't selling as much, or is this just a new business model for them? Um, I think it depends on who you talk to. If if they work for the company, it's a brand new business model. That's uh, a brave new world. Right. I'm I and the people who love their current crop of games will probably tell you it's a great thing too. Mm-hmm. Um, they they did this massive game change in 2004 2005 that where the a lot of the original fans of the product fell away because the, the game change was so radical. It wasn't for them anymore. I, and I'm one of them. Right. I, I was a big fan. I was a big fan of what they were doing up until the, the, that huge sea change. And then I just watched them out of interest because I wonder what they're up to. And then they got bought out by an MMO company that and all their, uh, all their publishing talent went to write MMOs. So it, it was a huge change over there. And, uh, now it's really just out of interest. So how what are they doing now? Because they are doing something different, and I'm curious to see how it's going to pan out. I, I, I'm just curious because I know that um, uh, there have been a lot of a lot of uh, and and it just goes along kind of with Kickstarter and and is is that there have been a lot of indie RPGs out there, and I can see these indie RPGs cutting into White Wolf because White Wolf was they weren't wizards, they weren't TSR. They were, you know, always a little behind them, and they were the India. They they were the to me. They seemed to be one of the original indies. Yeah, it's it, it's 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 sort of a demonstration of the way indie has changed over the mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. Like then, indie meant you you have a Mac with a copy of Cork Express on it, right? And you know, you're 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 writing your manuscript that way. And now, um, over the last twenty years, I guess. Um, sort of some game designers have appropriated indie to mean more than not a corporate uh, slash large business. Right. And and they they use it to typify a certain style of play. And in that way, White Wolf doesn't fit what they're using that word to mean. Okay. Because White Wolf games have always been pretty traditional in that you've got stats representing different abilities and all that. Right, right. For some people, indie game design means... We're telling a collaborative story. Nobody has a character with stats. You may occasionally represent the same character. Or you play, and it gets more... you play Jenga to solve problems. <laughs> right. You play Jenga when you're playing Dread. That's true. I, I've seen that played, and I, I was fascinated by that, actually. And I want to try that sometime. There's a, there's a fantastic video on YouTube by Roleplaying Public Radio of their Jenga experiment and what happens when they turn the lights out. Oh, okay. I bet that's fun. Yeah, highly recommended. Okay. <laughs> I'll have to check that out. I'll have to check that out. But I was just curious on the White Wolf thing because it seems to me that, that, that maybe their their market share is getting cut into by some of these indie companies. Um, but again, I I I'm not an expert by any means on no. RPGs. I, I think their visibility has, has gone down and their, their market share has probably decreased appropriately, but I, I wouldn't want to guess where it's gone. Right. Most of the indie design games I hear about don't hit the same genre and theme notes as White Wolf games do. But but they're certainly, like you said, they, they seem to be becoming a presence on Kickstarter. Yeah, the, the, like the the White Wolf 20th anniversary thing has been is is now a pattern with the third one underway. Three points make a pattern. Right. So uh, it's just a matter of what are they going to kickstart next? Right. And, and that. That's another great thing about Kickstarter. Some of these companies that may have once been at the top and, and, and have seen their market share decline for whatever reason or seen or decided to take, take their business in a different direction, 
Kickstarter's great, and, and you know, I think White Wolf might be a perfect example of that. Actually, my favorite example of that is Eden Studios over in Albany. Oh, okay, yeah. They're an RPG card game, board game company. Right, right. I'm and, familiar uh, with some of their stuff. Yeah, they, they, went into, um, they went into hibernation for a while because the owner was basically running his game store, Zombie Planet. Right. A year and a half, two years ago, they decided to kickstart the hard copy publication of one of their Conspiracy X 2.0 books. They, you know, the book had already been written and laid out. They just needed the money to send it to the publisher to make the hard copy. Right. And that was my first, no, sorry, that was my first RPG Kickstarter. Before that was a, a Miskatonic prop run. Okay. But anyways, um, I'm just really proud of that because I was, like, I, I still have that glow of, my name's in that book, I made that book happen. And then it not only went on to get them to publish, to, uh, to lay out manuscripts and publish books for the rest of Conspiracy X, one of the stretch goals for the latest Kickstarter was to publish a whole new game, which is now in development. Well, that's excellent. And, and again, yeah, and and there, there's the resurrection of, of, a, of, a, of a company through Kickstarter. Yeah, because it was, it, it was that classic thing of the small company needs money to pay the printer, so they do this thing to raise money for the other thing, but the first batch of money is now all gone. They have to do it again and again. It's and it's an endless treadmill, whereas with Kickstarter, you can be much more targeted and this is the money is for this project. Thank you very much. Here's your book. Right. Right. That's great. So, any final thoughts on uh, Kickstarter, crowdfunding, Indiegogo? I think it's going to, I think crowdfunding is going to just going to keep going because it, it takes risk away from the publisher and distributes it among many, many people who are willing to absorb the 30 to $50 risk. I, I, w- and, I would agree with you there, yeah. That, mm-hmm. that, that's, that's a good thing about it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's distributing the risk. It's making it more, it's making it easier for people to publish, especially publish catering to niche audiences with niche ideas. But I think there, I think like with desktop publishing RPGs and the D20 boom, there's going to be a high tide, and it's going to roll back after people either get fatigued from following 30 and 90 day campaigns constantly, sometimes concurrently. If you're Carlo, and uh, the, I think the the the, the tide's going to roll back, and the number of board games published per year that are funded by Kickstarter are going to drop, but. At the same time, you're going to get pearls emerging as the tide rolls back, the same way that happened in D20. So, yeah, I agree with you. I, I think that there is going to be a tide rolling back. You're going to get pearls. You're going to get uh, – it, it's going to become a regular alternative way for designers to get their games published, whether it be RPGs, board games, or whatever, even, even uh, iOS games, um, which we didn't even touch on. I, I also believe that you're going to see certain publishers be Kickstarter – savvy or, or um, trying to look for a good word here. They're, they're going to be regulars on Kickstarter, like a Tasty Minstrel um, or, or maybe even a White Wolf or Eden Studios that, that have found a way that to, to get their, their games published. Yeah, the, 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 uh, they're going to master the form of crowdfunding because yeah. it's, it's, it's part marketing, it's part social media, it's part just being genuine and direct and engaging, but at the same time balancing it with enough gloss and glitz. Right. But I do think that, that, that um, and I'm going to take from my personal experience, that you're going to see more and more people kind of go the road. Um, I, and this is just, again, a gut feeling that, that they're going to go the road of being more discerning, which is going to kill off some of these smaller um, 
less known publishers uh, yeah. kickstarting. The people are just going to say, well, you know, I'm not quite sure about these people. These people have an established record. These ones, not so much. I may not kickstart their stuff. Um, I, I think it's good, personally, for, for the industry. Uh, even if it's putting out mediocre games, there's more games out there, and people are getting their niche games made. Uh, yeah. So, I don't see it going anywhere. It may tone back. It may, it, you know, like you said, the tide may roll back, and 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 uh, it'll become a a level, a certain level. Where that level is, I don't know. Yeah, no, that's that's the real question: is where does it level off? Right. Right. My only wish for what uh, crowdfunding becomes is there's more control and uh, culpability on creators' behalf, where it's not it's not. It's not the way it is now where Kickstarter's very very plainly makes it so plain that the creator can do anything they want once the uh the campaign is ended. Not only that, Kickstarter's hands off. They won't come, yeah. they won't they won't come to your rescue, they won't back anything, they won't you know, so No. There's nothing to back there's nothing to rescue as far as no. they're concerned. Their job is done. Right. And right. you know, if you're agreeing if you're agreeing to the terms of service, that's fine. That's the way Kickstarter wants to run it. I'm just hoping that either, you know, uh, a rival turns up that isn't his hands off or uh, some, something else in the the business or legal landscape changes or that's not acceptable anymore. Right. And it could. And, you know, it very well could at some point. But we'll have to wait and see. Yep. But I think Kickstarter's here to say we're still cresting and uh, we'll have to see what happens from here. Yeah, it'll be interesting to what we can see from the top of the wave before it all starts to go down. <laughs> That is true. I know that, that, like I said, I've been more discerning. I still will kickstart. Um, I love watching Kickstarter, and I love seeing the new the new ideas. Even if I don't kickstart, I love seeing the new ideas come up. All right, this this just popped into my head. Mm -hmm. Do you ever just throw them a buck? Have you ever thrown a project a buck? Yeah. Or do you always get the game? No, I I have thrown certain certain games a buck here or a buck there. Um, you know, just just because I like, hey, you know, this game looks cool. And sometimes I've gone out and actually bought the game later. So. Okay. I, I haven't done that yet. I'm still in, still stuck in the something for my cash mode. Right. Well, I, I should say, I, I mean, I've done it like I think three or four times. So, you know, yeah. out, of, out of 16, 17, 18 times I've kick-started. Call that one-fifth. Yeah. One-sixth. Yeah, yeah. That's a good tip. That's a um, one-fifth is a good tip. That's 20%. Yep. Yeah. It's <laughs> a <laughs> 20% tip. Yeah, you know, and, and and you know, every game that I've thrown a buck to has made it. So, um, hey, so you did help make it happen, and then you had the option of picking it up. That's right. That's right. You know, because sometimes I I like the premise, or I, the game looks cool, or whatever, but I'm just not that interested in it that I want to buy it. Mm -hmm. but, I mean, and and I think that just goes along with I'm becoming more discerning in games I want to buy anyway. So. Um, so many games i don't have enough time to play them all yeah you, you got to learn to stop down and just <laughs> t pick your opportunities that's right that's right focus on triassic terror for a while i oh i will i got my 10 year old excited about that we just went to see jurassic park tonight so oh nice 3d oh, i haven't seen it on the big screen in years it was great wow so. well rod thanks for uh talking kickstarter tonight hey no problem it was my pleasure it's uh, something i've been wanting to do it, it's it, this this topic is never going to end in the the board game and RPG market because someone always has the next great idea to talk about. And between you and Carlo closely watching the board gamosphere, 
Uh, I'm not certain how anything gets by you. Uh, well, it does on occasion. It doesn't get by Carlo, though. I yeah. can tell you that. <laughs> it does not get by Carlo. All right. Well, I'm um, looking forward to seeing you at the uh, Spring Meltdown in a couple weeks. Absolutely. And that's uh, and Fairly Vermont for anybody who wants to stop by on April 27th. April, yeah, April 27th. There'll be a pre, pre-gaming on Friday night. I hear there's still plenty of rooms available with a great rate. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is a one-day gaming from uh, 9 to midnight. So. And I would just like to point out that people should get a room, if nothing for uh, the, the sheer ease of getting a room at Lake Maury. It has never been this easy. No, no. <laughs> come, come see what it was like, the first carnage. <laughs> yeah. But the other thing is, you know, the rooms are great. The area is great. It's a nice area. It's a nice place to game. Um, very relaxed atmosphere. And the people that are running it are, are you know, it'll be, it'll be a fantastic. There's lots going on, board games, RPGs. Yep. miniature tournament I mean there's, there's a lot going on it's going to be a fun time I'm, I'm looking forward to it me too I've, I've cleared my calendar for it <laughs> alright thanks Rod hey take it easy Tyler you've been listening to Carnage Cast a production of NNEG LLC all rights reserved For more information, visit us at www.carnagecon.com.